0: hello and welcome along to the nz swim bike run podcast home to everything swimming biking running and triathlon in new zealand Welcome back to another episode of the NZ Swim, Bike, Run podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by Matt Kerr, all the way from sunny Queensland. Uh, Some of you may recognize Matt's name from the conversation that I had recently with Professor Grant Schofield, uh, where we discussed the performance potential from a a low-carb, high-fat way of eating. Uh, Matt is an aspiring professional triathlete. Uh, and currently holds the Ironman New Zealand uh, and Ironman 70.3 Cairns uh, age group course records. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for, for joining and for your time today.
1: Hey, how
2: you going?
0: What I'm really interested to know, Matt, is how, you know, I, I like to understand the background of, of uh, people, and, and that helps to paint a bit of a picture for uh, for myself and for the audience as well. So how and when did your journey into... A triathlon first again
1: yeah it's
2: a good question it's um it's it hasn't been i haven't been that long in the sport to be fair um sort of went through high school um with a with a strong sort of water polo background and, and picked that up and played sport and was was doing a bit of surf life-saving as well at the same time um and so i had a bit of swim experience and and uh, a little bit of running under my belt, but it was nothing in the competitive field as such. Um, but most recently, um, I guess it was back in 2018 that I'd, um, I'd done my first uh, triathlon as such. Um, so yeah, not not too long in the sport, but um, it's 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 evolving as such.
0: Right, 2018, that that wasn't too long ago. <laughs> was that kind uh, no, of an Olympic or sprint tri distance as well?
2: No, that was I went down and did um, Taupo seventy point three in right, December. So you just cracked straight uh, into it
0: with, with the seventy point three.
2: Pretty much, it was um, actually Grant had he had a couple of couple of bikes there, which um, he said, "Hey, I have these." One was in, you know, he gave, as he gave them to me. He's rabbiting on about all this stuff about these bikes, and I knew nothing about them. Um, so I was pretty fortunate in that respect um so I got these couple of bikes to know what I was up to and um yeah started off really really fresh about the whole thing um so yeah 2018 I guess was my first um first trifle and as such not knowing too much at all
0: that's wild so uh, for your 70.3 like what was your you know everybody's very time focused right and that's kind of a way of, of comparing how how you're going and uh how you are versus the field like what was your what was your time in that first
2: 70 point three? Um, I went four four and a half or four twenty-five, I think it was something around there. So um right.
0: which is yeah, like I, a I was definitely gui-
2: guided, yeah, guided there by by Grant, obviously. And um but at the same time I was super fresh into the whole thing, um running on bare minimum gear. Um so you know tying your shoelaces and and transition type thing and and um so it was all pretty fresh to me Mm. Um, but yeah nevertheless we got out there and and gave it a good crack
0: so was it something that hooked you straight away
2: um you know what i think the i think it was a long-term vision of the potential of of uh seeing some progression which was which was the hook factor Mm. um and, and admittedly, I come into the, the sport with, you know, um, quite often for a lot of people, swimming is the, that's the one that, that gets them. And, you know, for me, I, I did have a bit of swimming um, background and, and that wasn't, wasn't the struggle. I'd never really ridden a road bike before. So for me, that was the, um, that was the, the one to get my head around. Um, so I sort of felt a little bit ahead of the game in that fact. But, um, yeah, I knew that there was potential to be had in, in making some serious progression there in, in, the, uh, in the bike. And, and what I actually thought was uh, the strength of, of what I had in the running aspect actually uh, wasn't a strength, you know. So, it's, um, mm. yeah, it's interesting, interesting how it all plays out.
0: Yeah. Um, and, uh, like, did you... Did you get that sense when you first started out that there was a lot of potential there or wasn't really until, you know, you had your second and then your third um, triathlon race where you, where you actually thought, oh, I, I could make something of this?
2: Yeah, it was, um, I guess the potential really started to come when, when you do your second or third race and you, you start to see some improvements and naturally you just aspire to obviously want to be better. Or, or to get better as such. And, and even those improvements were being seen in training. So it wasn't necessarily just on race day that um, we were seeing some improvements. And I think the aspiration out of that um, fueled the drive to, to just want to keep going back after race day and, and um, investigating different aspects of, of not necessarily the componentry within the bike but the swim and the run so there there's so much to play with and the potential mm. was uh w- was huge so I, I guess that's what what I kept turning back to of, of going back and revisiting things and how can we do things better and um you know training plan for 170.3 might look very different to the second one because we've got a bit of base there so um, it was forever evolving and changing for us
0: and did you have a coach from the get-go
2: uh, naturally, I it was we were just working with Grant, um, Grant. So he, um, and and very fortunate in in what he's, you know, the exposure that I've had to him, given his background and and, and his research and uh, the field he works in. And naturally, he's he's a very articulate um, mentor and coach to me. So um, I have been super fortunate in that aspect, and and given his background of of trifling himself back in the day um and you know as, as as you have heard from him what he knows now and what he did are two very very different things true um yeah. so it's fantastic to be a, a sort of a beneficiary as such to to, to his knowledge um yeah. within what's going on in today's world and, mm. and uh endurance sport
0: and uh, how did that connection first come about? It sounds like it was something that was pre-existing before you uh, started even thinking about triathlon.
2: Right. Yeah. So um, he's got a holiday house down in, down the Coromandel in Tyra, and um, and so do we. So we've been going there for years, and and naturally. Um, sort of come together every summer and the surf club is I guess the, the thing that has brought us together and formed an initial um, connection so um, which is the place to be in summer so um, yeah nice. it was, was through Surf Lifesaving where we made the connection and um, it's just we never look back really.
0: Yeah and uh, I guess what I'm, I'm really interested in like in, in talking through your journey uh, you know from going from you know, I, I think I could do something with this. I don't know, whatever that means personally to you too. Now where I understand you're in a position where you want to make the leap from amateur to pro, right? Like, so, you know, was there some, some kind of a moment where you said, actually, like, I want to give this a really good crack?
2: I think so. Like I talked about before, it's it's the, the elements of being able to see continual improvement, and, and it's it's also um, I think as you go through these races and you go through these training blocks and you learn a whole bunch of things um, you like to think you're getting um, stronger as an individual in, in many aspects of, of whether that's physic- physically or, or within yourself as a, as a person and, and mentally as well um, not to mention the fact of the knowledge you're actually learning along the way. Um, so, so that's another element. So, um, you know, there's other people that benefit from that as well. And you always like to pass knowledge on, and that's something that I'm starting to do as well. So, so there's so many strands to, to this. Um, but I think leading into that professional capacity, that's just that personal drive that you, you, you want to get better and, and you want to race faster and, and, putting all of those training hours in where you want to see how you stack up against the others. And, and there's no, um, there's no other way to do that than, than sort of uh, get into that professional field if you, if you can make it work. So um, that, that is the goal. Um, I, I definitely do have a few things that I want to tick off in that age group um, status at the moment. Um, so it's just a bit of a waiting game to, to get that done. And um, along the way, it's all time banked and um, and, and progressions made. Really,
0: mm. so, you got, so you've got some quite specific objective targets. It sounds like that you are aiming towards before you actually make that make that move.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like um, I'm very fortunate in the fact there is some races that um, you're not required to have that pro license as such to race um, most of the Ironman and, and challenge races as such, you, you do need to be a registered professional athlete as such to be racing in that field, but um, yeah, there's some races there which we're fortunate enough to be able to race in that elite or, or what they call open or pro field as such, um, but I do want to get to um, when the time when the time's right, I do want to get to Kona as an age grouper um, and, and, and give that a good crack um, and then, yeah, then the move on to to that professional status so um
1: yeah
0: do you uh in in my like uh brief background research that I did I came across uh a guy called Dan Plews I, I think that's how you pronounce his name who's um done a bit of work with Grant in the past and uh I saw he had a pretty good result at um at Kona as well is that something that has kind of inspired you to have that vision of of wanting to um, achieve something like that, or it's uh, you know, it's, is is it bigger than that?
2: Yeah, Dan's definitely been, and he was um, he was with us on the journey right at the start, um, and, and that's sort of when I started my triathlon journey. Uh, he just he just got that um, age group course record at Kona, um, and just reflecting on his journey and having conversations with him on, on how he did that, and again, he sort of went through that. Um, LCHF approach, and um, so it's uh, yeah, it's inspirational what what he did and how he got there, um, mm-hmm. and it's something that that I'd like to to get it there as an individual um, mm-hmm. before moving into that pro field, because I guess once you go make that shift into into that pro status, um, yeah, you, that, that's where you are. That's where
0: mm-hmm. you're racing. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that you set it up and do it right, so that. You know you're not jumping into it too early it sounds like like you you know you're, you're doing it kind of right in a gradual way so that you don't set yourself up poorly for later
2: absolutely and I think you know like um there's still a lot to learn in age group racing as well um, as much as there is in the, in the that, that pro field as well um, and that's a completely different can be a completely different race, um, but for me, this this I still have some improvements I'd like to make within the the age group racing, and it's that's an awesome opportunity for me to be able to do that. And and again, it's all time of training to to be able to do that and experience racing. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's huge advantages racing in the, that pro field, um, but there will be a time time to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, with uh with Kona, was that something that COVID aside, you would have been targeting for? this year like was it, was it something that was imminent in your plan
2: it was it was going to be yeah before COVID came it was we're looking at this year or, or obviously now at the moment we're going to possibly look at that next year mm. um so yeah COVID's a bit of a tough one but it, it is what it is and we, we've got to live with it and, and deal with it so um push things out and, and again things happen for a reason and um as, as hard as it is to suck up, that that might not be a reality or the race that you're, you've you trained for is, didn't go ahead. Um, there's always a silver lining to it, I think. And, and um, to that, it's, it's now I've, I've got myself a little bit more time to, to create some more training blocks and, and revisit the, the areas that I uh, know I can improve on. Mm-hmm. And, and it's allowed a bit more time in that sense.
0: Yeah, so... Your, um, I mean, firstly, great, great attitude to that whole uh, process of, of thinking about it in terms of looking at it as an opportunity rather than, um, you know, a, a kind of uh, a bad situation. But you're obviously based in Queensland now. How long have you been based in Queensland for? Is that, and is that, has that been as a response to everything that's been happening with, um, with COVID uh, back in New Zealand or, uh, you know, maybe just talk through talk through
1: that? Mm, mm.
2: so i came off i'm in New zealand in March um had a reasonable result there and um all yeah, or came up here uh, may of this year of 2021 and went and raised cairns in june um yeah since then it's it's just been a i guess relocation up here of a, it's more desirable through the New Zealand winter. Um, and and also, B, just the opportunity for a little bit more infrastructure of swim squads and being able to ride every day on the road. Um, so, so that has been a huge plus in being based in Queensland. Obviously, um, I am looking to get home at some point, but um, when and how that's thats still up in the air at the moment so I'm not quite sure um, what that looks like which is a little bit uncertain um, mm. we have obviously gone through a bit of COVID over here as well um, and and as we're recording I believe that New Zealand are, Auckland's still an inland element of lockdown so, so it's, um, it's certainly been here as well um, it probably hasn't been as strict as what um, it's been back home when it has hit, so uh, we're still able to swim in the sea. We were still able to ride. Um, so, in in that sense, it was it was a bit hard to swallow. When uh, I guess we went into an element of lockdown in New Zealand, weren't? And it's sort of sort of questioning: Did I make the right decision, or am I in the right place, really? Um, but again, you can't control what. What, what you can't control really and, and um, you have your moments of, of doubt but I, I guess for me it was just I'm in a good place here. I'm in a desirable place to make to make some progress, to make some gains and, and that's what I needed to keep at the forefront of my mind regardless of if New Zealand were in a lockdown uh, and also if they weren't and we were um, but as it turns out um, we we're actually Probably in a better um, situation, I think, at the moment than New Zealand. Like we've just had a we just had a race go on uh, last weekend, so that was all positive. And um, it, it does seem, at the moment, fingers crossed in Queensland, pretty uh, pretty good.
0: You must kind of count yourself as quite lucky in that sense. Then that you know you haven't had to go through these series of lockdowns. Like we're you know, I'm based in Auckland, and and we are now what are we coming toward the end of week five of of uh being locked down which means you know no um, for me no swimming uh even no swimming in the ocean um definitely no squad swimming uh you know if you're so inclined i I think you're probably allowed to go out for a cycle but as you know it can't be any kind of an extreme distance away from your house so you know like surely you kind of look at people that are based back here in new zealand and especially in auckland and think like I actually made a really good call in moving to, to Queensland, right?
2: Totally agree. Yep, you totally agree. And and I guess um, that's not evident until reality hits of the situation you're in and you start to hear some of these mm. stories and, you know, as you say, Auckland's now in a week, whatever it is, five or four. And, and yeah, not being able to get to a pool where, you um, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I am swimming three or four days a week here in a squad. Um, so those are some some reasons why I guess I'm here at this point in time. Um, obviously, there's the, the uncertainty at the moment of how and when I'm home. Um, but that's just part of the decision that, that I'm making to be here um, currently. So, um, yeah, there are definitely some silver linings that, uh, around what's going on.
0: So, what would be your main motivator for coming back to New Zealand if you know there is the, I guess, the greater threat of lockdowns and disruption that that has to training and potentially events as well?
1: Mm.
2: Returning home was always on the basis of, um, you know, summer. Kiwi summer is fantastic, it's mm. a place to be. It's, it's warm, but it's not. It's not not Australia, Queensland, cooking hot. Um, and there's also a, a pretty solid racing, Kiwi racing season to go on all, from December all the way through to to March. So that that's desirable and it's in itself. Um, what the state of New Zealand's like in terms of whether events are actually going ahead during that period, who's to know yet? Anyway, um, fingers crossed that, that that can happen for for us over that summer period. Um, and you know, Australia is. It's, pretty warm during that that summer period it's not only hot it's also humid as well um and there's not a whole bunch of racing going on over here during that time so um i think naturally to get back home for the summer um friends and family and and obviously um have some racing going on is is all that desirable to to actually want to be back home
0: right so like as soon as uh you know you remove the covert element it actually is a lot more favorable because it doesn't reach you know 40 degrees or whatever queensland is in in summer which is yeah. unbearable for for most and <laughs> unless you're like well well adapted to that. Um yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. In terms of like other obviously that COVID's like been you know, a massive disruptor to everybody I uh, you know uh just in terms of um, day-to-day life, let alone trying to advance, you know, your your aspirations in, in terms of being a pro triathlete and a lot of overseas events like that. That must have been hard. But what other sacrifices have you made, you know, over the last uh, three years, probably more recently, uh, as you've been chasing this, um, this dream of becoming a pro triathlete?
2: I, I guess the biggest one is... Um is the you know my career Mm. um and and where i was working prior to this and um that has that hasn't now been at the forefront of my priorities this year certainly um so i was a um, high school teacher working in whangamata at whangamata area school um and outdoor education so um you know the the job actually complemented what i was doing very well at the level i was competing back then mm-hmm. um you know every every 10 weeks i get a two week training block an intense two week training block um, and those were called school holidays so it was it, it worked really really well <laughs> true um, yeah and, it's perfect and, you know we could escape over here for two weeks and you get a solid two week training block in, mm-hmm. um, and then um you know, Because I think it is quite important that there's there's something else going on other than, than sport and triathlon all the time. And, and having a balance mm-hmm. um, for me is, is actually key because I, mm-hmm. I do tend to, um, if I don't have that, that other thing in my life, whatever that, that drive is, um, then the overtraining and, and that stuff starts to come in. Um, so, yeah, my career was uh, is something that, that has taken um, or has been pushed aside for this this drive or this aspiration. Um, and, and very fortunate to that I was working at Fungus Taieri School, and that they, they they had um, a fantastic approach and attitude to towards my my passion and my goals and where I wanted to go with this. Um, so they were super understanding. Um, coming out of the back of Man this year um, that they were had a, a conversation and um, yeah they were were extremely supportive around my aspirations as I say to to get over here and do a bit more digging and see how I could go with this
1: mm.
0: oh that's awesome and while you're over in Queensland what does that balance look like
2: yeah, it's it's a hard one. It's a hard one because I could totally come over here and just bury myself with trifle and, and do nothing For but. Sure. Mm. Um, but again, as I say, I think it's healthy to have to have that balance at this point in time. You know, I'm still racing age group. I'm um, I'm not. I don't have a huge amount of um, you know sponsorship that that um, I rely on to 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 get through day to day. So. Um, I am doing a bit of um, just relief teaching over here, um, so that that's that's adding the balance. And then I've got a bit of stuff on the side of of uh, coaching going on as well with some other athletes back home. Um, so that keeps me busy and, and, and just pottering away with with some other little adventures um, on the side is mm. um, is I think very important. You know, I think I think it's key to just trying to balance things out and um, rather than living and breathing it, which of course, as you do, everyone wants to do, but um, there's a time for that, you know.
0: That's interesting. Did you kind of pick up on that yourself or did you get that advice from some kind of a mentor to say, look, like you actually need something else in your life to balance out against the rigorous training that you're going to be doing?
2: Yeah, I think Grant's had a a pretty big influence on that, to be fair. yeah. Um, And I Grant's here for a reason. He's there to... He's not necessarily there to all he is to pre- prescribe my you know an element of my training, but he's also there to uh, say no and um, be that mentor, be that coach to advise when you shouldn't be training. Because the tendency is that as an athlete, it can get a little bit tunnel visioned around, um, you know, going over, over the top as such. So I think that's his main role, um, and he's very, um aware of that i i like to achieve you know i i want to get there and i'm driven and and i want to achieve so at the same time he he knows that balance is needed for me so um i think he has been probably that that push Mm -hmm. um to be to be like you you do need to have something else which which is good which is good because sometimes you do need to be told that as hard as it is you do need to be told
0: yeah definitely he uh it, he seemed quite pragmatic in the sense that uh you know he, he um had a bit more of a focus on the enjoyment side of of the sport as opposed to just the performance side and i think you know they go hand in hand like you can't just have um high performance without actually enjoying it and you see that across all kinds of sports as well like yeah you'll get the you'll get the athlete that pushes himself really really hard but then they break at some point, like I guess Andre Agassi uh, is an example of that in tennis, right? Like He was just, uh, if you've read his book, it's, it's unbelievable the the kind of training pressure that he was under by his um, by his uh, by his dad, uh, and he just carried mm. that for for years and years and and um, resented uh, it all later, you know. But from the outside, it looked like he had this amazing life. But then, um, you know, uh, actually uh, reading through his uh, thoughts in that book, you say, "Well." Geez, this this guy was actually pretty tortured. Um, I want to um, I want to um, pick up on something that you said, like in terms of your drive. So, what is it that actually drives you? Like, what's the level beyond just wanting to get better?
1: Um, I think
2: I don't want to say I, I like to be perfect, but um, I want to achieve and be the best that I can be, um, and then line myself up against um, the the others out there and see how I stack up. Um, so I think, you know, like to, to go out there and to have a training session with um, X amount of numbers and and, and, and execute that is, is one thing. Um, but I think also having the confidence to put that into a race and see how that lines up with others um, is a real test for me. It's um, it's a challenge and it's something that I enjoy, I think. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I'm just striving to be to be the best athlete that I can be mm-hmm. um, and that, for me, there's never an end. There's never an end point. Um, there's always something that we can be doing differently, um, whether that's in training and racing, and I think the two to relate to each other very well
0: mm. uh, at this stage in in your um in your path are you still feeling like you're getting those pretty significant gains as well um, from a performance perspective
2: right so they get smaller and smaller as you yeah. uh, <laughs> as, yeah, as, as time on, gets on right like, um, yeah. yeah yeah so it's it it truly is and people talk about those one percent as well that's what it's down to you know It it really is down to those one percenters. So um, there's different areas within, you know, swim, bike, and run of of improvement. Um, But the gains do get smaller. Um, Yeah, that's it's a hard question. Actually, it's um, it 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 gets extremely fine. It gets extremely mm -hmm. fine. So um, yes, it's always evolving.
0: Right now, you feel like you're still a a while away from your peak, whatever that looks like.
2: I don't. It's funny you ask that because I don't. I don't think I. I don't see a peak. I don't. I don't have a. I don't think. Uh, once I bike this, and once I run this, that's my peak. Mm. Um, for me, there's. You know, I may I may never run faster than you know a one ten half, but at this point, I, I don't see that as a limiting factor. Um, so for me, there's that peak is just um, it's about you know there's intentional goals within each discipline for sure, um, and there's real it's re- it's realistic too. Um, it's realistic to what's going on at, at this time of the the journey, but, um, I don't, I don't have a peak as such. No.
1: Mm.
0: That's quite exciting to, yeah. to think about, you know, and it, that's probably something that's going to be able to drive you forward. If you are motivated by those, uh, continuous small improvements as well. What, um, what is it like? What does your longer term, vision look like in in terms of your um inspirations for for the sport outside of like beyond obviously like you've got this uh, target in terms of the pro side right but like have you thought about what happens after that and and how long beyond that you, know, you want to be in in the sport for
2: right so yeah it's a it's a good question um you know like a, i i it's a long term. Um, I guess I want to, I want to be racing in that pro field. Um, and it's not, I don't have the the thought process that I want to win 10 races and then that's me. Um, but you know, I'm 29 at the moment. Um, so I still think that there's, there's some good years ahead of, um, ahead of me in terms of racing as such. Um, mm. and, and, and I know that for some that's still considered quite young. So um, beyond racing, let's see where we go. Let's see how far we go. Um, but intermediate, it's sort of like I, I, I want to be racing in that pro field. And the more racing I do, uh, the more drive it gives me to want to make the move into that status of, of that professional professional field.
0: Yeah, what's um? I'm I'm not super familiar with uh, the triathlon landscape, but what would be the like? Who's the oldest pro um, on the Ironman circuit, for example?
2: Uh, oldest pro, that would probably be Care Ke- Canberra.
0: Right. Okay. And uh, yeah, right. How How old is he getting?
2: Oh, he is he's forty eight.
0: 48. Okay, so you can yes, have a really long yeah. <laughs> life in in the sport at a like at a really high level if you do it right.
2: Exactly. So um, yeah, I mean, there's other things that that you know you start to meet people and, and hear different stories, but there's there's other things that. And, or for, for what I've experienced so far and, you know, and, and I've talked about that just before in terms of helping others and, and, and a mm. bit of coaching going on as well. So right, there's yeah. satisfaction that I'm getting out of that and um, and seeing other people achieve is is highly satisfying. So, you know, who knows what it will lead to. But mm. Um, mm. for now, I'm enjoying my journey, but also uh, being able to um, share that experience or knowledge um, with some others too.
0: Yeah. Because I'm, I'm definitely not saying that you have to have like an end point in mind. I think that's actually a, a very, um, well, personally, I, I think that's a bad way of going about it. It's actually better just to be on the journey, enjoy the journey and, and have some goals as you go. Some um, uh, some intermediate goals, but not necessarily, you know, once I get here, I'm going to be happy because once you get there, you're not going to be happy. There's always going to be something else. So. You know, I, I think it's just more interesting understanding what um what your uh, frame of mind is uh, is like. I want to switch up the yeah. conversation a little bit, um, if you don't mind, and uh, and move to low carb, high fat, um, because you were something of a case study when we were talking to. Uh, when I was talking to Grant um, last week, and obviously it's uh, it sounds like something that's worked pretty well for you. Again, referencing back to uh, uh, Endure IQ, is that right? Endure IQ.
2: Yes, it is. Yeah. 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 So that's um, um, that's yeah, Dan's Dan's uh, triathlon um, coaching coaching business.
0: Yeah. So there were there were some pretty uh, convincing statistics that that um that were up on his i think it was his website uh around um around some of your tests pre and uh, and post um you know becoming fat adapted so really really interested to talk about that so when did you first make the switch from i'm assuming from a more carb based way of eating to to low carb high fat
1: mm.
2: yeah it's definitely uh what you talk about has been a journey, you know, um, and what works for me might not necessarily work for someone else. Um, again, I was fortunate enough to have some pretty um, sound researchers, uh, you know, Dan and Grant on my team at the time, um, offering their knowledge of, of um, this LCHF sort of approach, which was all fairly new to me. Um, so I guess that first 70.3 that I did back in 2018, um, Hey, there was no LCHF approach to that at all. Um, knowing, you know, and, and knowing that I could get through that event four and a half hours without being overly a bad adapted athlete as such. Um, but rolling through that December period. Um, into the following March, where I had my first Ironman targeted. Um, that's where we made um, some sound changes to to becoming um, as best fat adapted athlete that I could during that time, um, and and the numbers were 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 convincing um, around bonking and and not finishing the race in the best state. Uh, if i wasn't a fat adapted athlete or if i was still quite a carby burn athlete um, and you know as i say it doesn't doesn't suit everyone but um, what i i guess what i didn't have that some athletes come into it is i didn't have years and years of base training um, and for some athletes those years and years of base training naturally gives them an element of being a reasonable fat burner um so I, I didn't have that. Um, hence why we took the um, pretty uh, deep dive into the LCHF um, yeah approach.
0: There's a there's a couple of things that I wanna, uh, that I want to ask off the back of that. So um, the first one was uh, based on what I was reading on endure IQ, I, uh, again, I, I think that was the, that was the reference was um, there was some, Uh, there was a pretty significant Mm -hmm. cutoff point if you were uh, reliant on carbs versus fat adapted in terms of the amount of time. Um, So was that, you know, was that kind of a big driver for you in terms of moving toward that? Did you have that uh, knowledge beforehand that, that, uh, that was what was necessary to to perform those longer races, you know, moving from a 70.3 to a full distance Ironman?
2: Yeah, exactly. And I wasn't going to go into an Ironman um, just to complete it and have a good time. I mean, that was totally, um, that was definitely a goal to enjoy complete, you know. Um, But at the same time, um, where I'm going with that is there were some specific numbers that I did want to execute during that time and to, to execute those numbers within that race um, at the intensity level that was required without being fat adapted would actually mean that I would run out of energy to produce that, that intensity. Um, so if I was fat adapted in a sense, um, I could then therefore produce that, that power or, or be running at that pace um, and sustain that so um, it was super intentional um, it just wasn't plucking numbers out of media. air um, and it was very scientific and as I said fortunate enough to have Grant and Dan on my team at that point um, and that was all geared towards that first that very first Ironman that I did.
0: And when you first made the switch uh, were there any crumbs that that you know or, or uh Indications that you were getting better early on, or did it take a a little bit of time for that actually uh, actually to click into gear?
2: Um, Initially, it was a bit of a hard change, to be fair. And Mm. and, um, yeah, Grant is pretty black and white; he'll tell you how it is. And you know, you're going through three weeks of clear your pantry. You've got no carbohydrates in your pantry. Get rid of everything. Uh, and start again so um, it's it's sort of I guess that referral of um, that keto flu that people talk about as such um, and that was the first approach of, of changing this is, is just cutting um, all carbohydrates out of my diet um, and I wasn't to be fair I wasn't a super bad either or I wasn't eating horrendous amounts of carbohydrates but um, it was definitely a carby based diet um, so to cut that out was was definitely a change um, and a bit of a shock to be fair so the first sort of two to three weeks were pretty uh, pretty rough um, and then I came right after that to, to be honest um, but I guess what um, what was key in that is is adapting we adapted our training to suit um to suit the change of the nutritional um content that was going in so you know all training was just easy 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 training um long and easy or what could be what could be done at the time um and then slowly we progressed to to making different progressions and actually getting a little bit of uh structure back into that that block
0: it's super interesting so you when you first started this you literally had zero uh carbs for for three weeks or was it just very limited carbs
2: um it was probably to be fair it was maybe up to 20 grams of carbs a day so we're talking pretty small pretty Mm. low um but again I was do- I was making a change here and, yeah. and I was giving it my best shot so um, it was in my best interest to to do it as well as I could and for me that was was going relatively strict I mean there's other ways of as to can any cat but um, for me it, that was that was pretty much um, a bit of a strict stricter approach as, as such
0: yeah and that just what allowed you to click into that. Fat-burning gear a little bit quicker than if you had had more of a gradual approach.
2: Yeah, and just get into a state of ketosis and such. Mm. And um, the the nutritional change aligned with uh, the type of training that I was doing, which was all aerobic based. And it initially it was even just getting out and, and walking um, because mm. I simply didn't have the energy to. To go for a run or to go for a trail run or something. Um, so, it, obviously, progressions came as as time went on. Um, but yeah, that first sort of uh, week to two were pretty horrific. So
0: yeah, wow, well, that's that sounds uh, sounds quite miserable. So yeah. it it, it well, really it hits quite really
2: hard. It did. It wasn't. I mean, I look back on it now and I think it was. What was it? What was I fussing about? To be fair, but um, mm. at the time you feel a bit, but sorry for yourself and whatnot. And um, especially after doing a bit of training, it goes to, you know, can I even get outside today um, mm. for me? But again, it's different for everyone. It's different for everyone. But that that's that was just my journey, and um, you know, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't yeah. change a thing for it.
0: And what ha- happened after those three weeks, like the skies opened up and, it, it, you know, you all of a sudden just had this big performance benefit or was it again? Um, yeah.
2: Like not necessarily. I think the key, the key to, to some success that we saw within that, um, let's look at it from, you know, December all the way through to the end of Feb before race was actually, um, you know, progressions through that time. Um you know at the end of it at the end of that block you know we're riding six to six and a half hours completely fasted on the bike um and you you sort of told me that at the start of the three weeks uh, there's not a chance I can do that so um you know adding an hour or sorry half an hour each week it actually is achievable um and and it was all of the goal to be um oxidizing more more fat along the along the way so um it's progressional, right? I th- and I think that, that that's a big takeaway for me in this whole journey is that um, anyone that looks at any of my training and, and um, you know, they see that I'm riding six or seven hours on on no um, or, or that's fasted, they think you're mad. But I did start somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. and it did start yeah. as, as a 30-minute fasted ride somewhere. You know, way back it was that. And then it turned into a 60-minute fasted ride, um, you know. And that that complemented with, you know, an hour's fasted run turned into a 90-minute fasted run. So it's all progressional and it's all relative. Um, and that's just where I am at the moment.
0: So when you say fasted, so you, you know, uh, say it's Saturday that you're going out for for the six-hour um, fasted uh, training ride and um, your is your last meal on the Friday nights?
2: It'll be on the Friday night, yep.
0: And then yep. you wake up, you probably hit the ride reasonably early.
2: Yes, yep, Yeah. I I do like to get up early in the mornings, get training done in the, in the morning. And, and um, so, yeah, naturally, I'm, I'm not starting, not like I'm not, you know, riding at 9, 9 a.m. I'm sort of. You know, i try to be on the road at latest, absolute latest at 7 yeah. um, if not before so um, I'm hydrating through that time um, and there's a little bit of, there's some small calories going in through that electrolyte drink that I've um, through SVOs. Um a little bit of product there but
1: mm.
2: yeah, in terms of um, you know, consumption of food or anything it's yeah cut that back you sort of walk out the door with just you know a couple of water bottles mm-hmm. uh, cell phone and front door keys um, yeah that's that's the key you life. take with you yeah. yeah exactly right so um
0: it's, it sounds yeah. like it's got, got its benefits uh, and if you say you you were doing like a, a high intensity training session what would your fueling look like um you know pre during and post uh, in comparison to that, that six-hour fasted ride? How different would that's that a, be?
2: Yeah, it's yeah, a good question. So um, there's definitely intensity sessions within my training. Um, and initially through this whole LCHF journey, it was I would fuel specifically for those sessions. Um, and they would be more carby, carby meals, carby snacks as such. Um, and it wasn't going and consuming a whole bowl of pasta um but there was definitely some carbohydrates consumed for those sessions um intentionally for those um now I guess I'm at the point where the intensity sessions are still there but um I know that I don't have to have a carbohydrate uh fuel storage in there I don't sit and have a meal uh to fuel that session which is actually quite interesting at this point like yeah, we sort of, that was a reliant that I needed. That Mm. was definitely a barrier to executing some of those sessions pretty well. But at the moment, um, you know, I'm still getting some reasonable VO2 sessions on the bike, um, not fueled specifically by indigenous um, or endogenous carbohydrates.
0: So when you, uh, when you were probably first starting this, just to give a bit of a flavor of that, Um, would you be eating you know 90 minutes before a hard training session or was it
2: yeah or or even sort of up to that two-hour window yeah um yeah the the sunday sessions were a classic it was like i'm executing specifically a a race type um, training session so i'd be consuming what i would on race day um, there'd be a bit of carbs and what would be a, a breakfast as such um, and then I'd finish that up and start that, that, that training session
0: and uh, when it comes to your race days now the, the events um, what kind of exogenous carbs are you having on the day Like, what does what your fueling look like for maybe a 70.3 and an Ironman um, if you mm. could take us through that
2: yeah, totally different, uh, which is interesting. Mm. Um, so I yeah, eat eat pre-race in, in in the morning. Um and that's just for me that's a, a couple of cups of coffee um with some cream and um bit of bacon and eggs and maybe a couple of slices of um of toast.
0: Really? And this is uh yeah. That, that's across either of those distances. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's across right. either. So bacon, um, eggs, and, and a couple of coffees. Doesn't yeah, sound a too, of coffees, too scientific. Yeah.
2: And 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 no, a couple of slices. probably a couple of slices of uh, Vogels in there too. So um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and that's across both seventy point three distance and, and Ironman. So yeah. um, and, and as I say, that's something that. I've trained with, I train with, it. I know it works. Um, and I think, yeah, putting into practice what you train is, is pretty key as well, rather than um, executing something that you've never done on race morning and expecting it to work. Well, good luck with that one. Sure. Um, so it was something that I don't tend to do as much. I know it works. I've done it before. Um, and that sort of race morning um, fuel for me. Um, yeah. In terms of actually... Uh, what my consumption looks like during a race. Um, of 70.3s you can get away with a little less um, and I'm learning that more and more. Um, as you get into hotter races, so that, that changes a little bit more. Um, but for, for the Ironmans as such, it's I'm looking at putting it back about 20... 20 grams of carbs per 40 minutes. Um, so that's
0: it's really light.
2: That's yeah. it's
0: Versa, that, you know just compared to um uh uh myself for example, and uh, mm-hmm. and and that's that's obviously because you're a lot more fat adapted. Yeah, tw- 20 20 grams of carbs every 40 minutes. Wow.
2: yeah, and I guess being able to have that flexibility of metabolism is Mm. is what we're aiming for in this whole process Mm -hmm. uh well for me anyway for me and that's what's working for me so um
1: yeah
0: so uh what does that specifically look like could we get a little bit more tactical with that is that like are you taking in gels is that um fluid uh, in the form of fluids that you're taking that what does that look like during um during your race
2: yeah, it's, it's both gels and fluid. Um, I use S-Fuels uh, Race Plus um, and there's a, a small amount of carbohydrates in that, um, mm-hmm. but that's also ticking the box of what I'm losing electrolyte-wise and, and um, in that area, the gels are topping up They're the other main source of the carbohydrates. Um, so it, between, i probably go through uh three four bottles uh on, on an Ironman bike. Um and those have S fuels on them um throughout that time. So, so
0: yeah. So you uh you used the term bonking before, which is something that I've only I think ever come across once before and uh, I believe it's some kind of a um triathlon type term for Basically, you've run out of energy for, um, you know, for for the end of the race. You've reached your your limit, whatever that is. Have you found now that you've moved to a more fat adapted state that you're not experiencing that anymore?
2: Um, I've diff. I've definitely experienced it um, okay. <laughs> before. I, I'm I'm not these days which is uh, which is interesting even given the fact of the amount of training hours that you put down mm. um, and some of the time that you spend on the road or out there um, and it's no surprise that that was happening whilst I was not on any sort of uh, low carb high fat approach which to, to me and to to the research, I think speaks, speaks highly. Um, but yeah, I, I have vivid, vivid, um, memories of, you know, I've got for me that back, back then, I've got a sort of a six to eight hour ride around the Coromandel and getting to Thames and shoveling my food with, uh, my face with muffins and pies just to get back home over the Coco Hick. And, and <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not in a pretty state. So, um, not in a pretty state. So again, that enjoyment factor of what you're doing, it just slowly is diminishing more and more. So yeah, um yeah, yeah. I think the fact of, you know, being out there for six hours, being able to walk in the door, um and still be pretty coherent and, and the fact of actually feeling pretty good, you know, mm-hmm. like you've just been out there for six and a half hours or whatever you've been doing and five, whatever it is, and done this, that, and you still feel pretty good is um yeah, there's a plus to that, right?
0: Well, it's definitely a testament to the whatever whatever you're doing, whether that's in training or, you know, it, it sounds like based on what you're saying and what uh, Grant was saying as well, that a lot of that is based on that um, change to that that fuel source. I'm just so interested in this stuff. I really am. Like, uh, I'm I'm definitely going to give this a crack <laughs> and, and see if yeah. I can convert it over. The only thing I'm really uh, nervous about is. Um, is in uh in long distance swimming and marathon swimming it does actually help to have some fat reserves like i've got this brown fat but i do actually want a little bit of you know white fat as well so my my biggest fear is i move to this um fat adapted state and i just i lean up and i don't know whether that's a legitimate fear or not but you know that's that's something that i've been thinking through so
2: i definitely think it's a you know like that is actually a thing Mm. um and I noticed that maybe not at the moment, but particularly through last year when I was training for, you know, more of those 70.3 races and then summer came around and naturally your training hours just go up and you do lean out a little bit more. Um, You all of a sudden get colder quicker and um, it's all, yeah, it's definitely, definitely is a thing. So, um, but I guess what, for me, what, it's just a part of what I do now. You know, a lot of people turn around and say, oh, what an inconvenience that it would be, or what do you eat, or you mustn't ever go out, or you mustn't, you know. To me, it's you can make it work, and it's just part of what I do. It's not hard to go to the supermarket. It's not hard to cook. Mm. Um, it's actually not hard to have a conversation with a waiter and say, I don't want any sourdough on my, on my plate you know mm-hmm. can I swap that out for extra avocado or something whatever it is mm-hmm. um it's it's all in the means of what's happening today you know so mm-hmm. um it's not actually for me it's not actually that much of a convenient uh, inconvenience, should I say
0: and every day like what what is your what is a normal um day in uh of eating look like in the life of Matt like what do, what do you have uh breakfast lunch and, and dinner
1: yeah
2: bre- breakfast is a flip between like an easy go-to is just an omelet you know um yeah, yeah. and for me that's um in my current state at the moment i'll get out in the morning i'll do some either go sun training or go and get some training done so i'm probably not eating until i have a cup of coffees before i go out and then i'm probably not eating till I don't know, 11 11 o'clock um, so most of my morning trainings are um, without fuel beforehand as such. Um, and, and those omelets, are packed out with, you know, avocado, uh, leftover meat from the night before, bacon, um, and stack them up or I flick between those and a bit of cream cheese pancakes uh, with bacon and cre- whipped cream on. So it goes all right. And well, then, um, it doesn't
0: sound unpleasant.
2: Nah. <laughs> it really then, doesn't. Yeah, doesn't it? Dinner's, a, dinner's the easy one you know, it's yeah. between sort of salmon and, and pork and steak and chicken and gotcha. Um, yeah, so it's, as I say it all sounds pretty complex and complicated but it's routine, right? And I think once you get into a state of um, knowing and knowing why you're doing what you're doing and um, how it can help for me, in my case, how it can help my training and how to adapt my training around that. um, It makes it all that much more enjoyable again to to be doing and to know what you're doing it for. Mm.
0: And what about your general well-being, like outside of the performance side of you noticed a difference between, uh, you know, obviously it's a journey, like you said, but you know, between when you first started this uh, being more carb, um, carby and, and now being more, fat adapted, uh, just in terms of how you feel on a day-to-day basis.
2: Yeah, like I'm feeling, I operate pretty well, to be honest. And um, I guess the the help of which, um, you know, reducing the carbohydrates is is the recovery as well. And for me, that's that's a big thing. Um, so I I feel I feel pretty well, to be honest, in the the whole recovery sense. Um, yeah, you have your days where you know that you've done some work the day before. Um, but prior to that, when I was on that higher carbohydrate um, diet, I was certainly having to invest more time in the recovery um, side of things. Um, mm. Not to say that it's something that, that I don't look at at the moment. Yeah. Um, but in terms of how I'm feeling physically, mm. um, it's definitely, I, I, I feel... I feel, and uh, anything's a placebo effect. And if it, if it, if it is that way, then so be it. It's all good. Um, but I feel feel like I'm recovering pretty well.
0: As long as it works for you, right? So, in terms of the um, like the the difference in recovery, uh, what what is that like? Like, say after a long ru- a ride or um, long run, like uh, you just don't have the same pain in the days following that you, that you normally would.
2: Yeah, I think there's that element, but there's also uh, the ability to be able to get up the next day and execute a session or backing that session up with something else um, mm-hmm. to the best of your ability and doing so. Um, so I think it's it might not necessarily just be about how you feel after that session and what doms you have the next day, but it's actually being able to get out the following day or the, or a couple of days after that um, and still perform um, in a training sense and, and execute what you need to and having that ability. So that whole inflammation side of things is, is not as inflammatory as um, maybe what we typically see with a higher carbohydrate diet.
1: Mm.
0: So what, what you're talking about there is that energy levels, outside of the inflammation side. So like from an energy perspective, you can bounce back pretty quickly versus say, if you were more uh, reliant on carbs.
1: Yeah,
2: I agree. I agree. And I think as the more you spend, the more time you spend um, in this, let's call it a fat adapted state and the, the better fat adapted you become, um, the more that that is conscious as such the mm. more that's happening, as I mm-hmm. say, you know, like you're not actually sitting on the couch that afternoon, knowing that you've been out for four hours on the ride and, and, and you're, you're slogged from it. Um, instead, you can actually still operate as a functioning human for the rest of that day um, mm. after riding the, that session in the morning. So um, yeah.
0: That's always helpful to be a, <laughs> a functioning human. Uh, and um, <laughs> do you have in, in your um in your plan do you have any kind of blocks of fasting or you more just follow that um uh, i guess intermittent fasting uh style with with the um with the fasted rides or, or runs that you do
2: yeah it's more intermittent and it's um it's uh, purposeful around the sessions that i have through that week um as i say I'm, generally always got sort of a long run in there um, and a long bike and then typically those will be to try and get uh, or to stay on top of that whole adaptation type thing um, and that's that's where the fasting comes in um, but specifically that's a question you get I get asked quite a bit actually is do you fast and intentionally uh, no um, The answer is no um, but there's purpose around why, consumption of of food around different training sessions is not occurring and Mm. that's simply Mm. just to try and become um or try and oxidate as much fat as as possible
0: yeah look i I don't have any other questions on that particular topic um and uh, and otherwise as well do you think there's anything else worth mentioning or that you would like to mention
2: um you know what like as i say you're the whole LCHF approach has it's conjoint with your training. Um, and there's no Mm -hmm. point doing one or the other, like the two have to align they have to align. It's Mm -hmm. just, um, and that's specifically what, what's worked, I think quite well for us and where we've seen this, you know, those fat oxidation rates, um, just increase. Um, so, long fasted rides you know the, the, for, for me it's got to be an aerobic it's got to be in that aerobic zone um and and that's a really hard one i heard grant talk about it the other day with you it's like you do have to leave your ego at the door sometimes and sometimes you do have to do those solo sessions where you're not training with your mates and and surging the hills or mm. or running those real fast k's or or, or whatever it may be mm, um mm. so i think in that sense you know um you can go out and execute perfect training plan um and maybe not have the specific zones or what you're trying to achieve in place or vice versa um so yeah i think the two have to be mutually working well together
0: Mm. and are there any you know obviously you've got some access to some really good coaches are there any resources that if somebody's interested in this i'm not saying you're an expert but you know you would have come across some things that they can pick up and, and, um, and read to, to understand and, and know a little bit more.
2: Absolutely. Like um, I, I do, I've got an association with S fuels, which are low, low carbohydrate. Um, and they help me out with well, low carbohydrate, high fat um, products. And they've got a fantastic life guide there, which, which talks about, um, you know, what, what I've just mentioned of the, the training and the consumption of, of those lower carbohydrate options and what that actually looks like in a day-to-day and training lifestyle for um, anyone that's just starting out or, or are pretty well deep into, into it and they want to make the switch into that LCHF approach. So um, check that one out for sure that there's plenty of resources there um, around Endure IQ and Dan's done some fantastic work there. Um, And as I say, I've been fortunate enough to be um, beneficiary of some of that, so their mm, knowledge of, mm. of grant and dan's
0: mm. hey thanks a lot for your time matt i really appreciate that uh, uh, that was a a good conversation for me and i think it naturally followed it followed up pretty well to the one with grants um really interested to see what happens next with your uh triathlon journey um and you know it sounds like you're, you're definitely onto a, a good thing there i can't believe that and you know, three years—you're already at the at the point that you're knocking on um, uh, knocking on the door of going pro. So, best of luck uh, to you for that. People can find you whereabouts uh, in um, terms of social. Yeah, just, like-,
2: yeah like I guess I, I do have a bit of Instagram stuff going on there. So there's yeah. uh, there's stuff on Instagram, and that's probably uh, probably the main main source there of staying up to date of what's going on
0: and that's at Instagram uh, and Facebook at at Matt Kerr that's the one yeah NZ Matt Kerr or
2: something like that NZ Matt Kerr yeah something like that yep
0: (laughs) nice staying up with it all if they they search your name I'm sure they won't have too too many problems finding you anything else that you want to add before we wrap up
2: no I think that's it that's um, it's been good talking and chatting away and building on that conversation that you had with Grant beauty um, yeah weeks back
0: yeah but definitely keen to keep in touch. We'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be watching a, along from afar. And, and like I said, best of luck. I hope the, um, the relocation does work out for you. Uh, it would be good <laughs> to, for, for you to come and be able to get back for summer. It's so all the best. And, and again, thanks for your time.
2: Awesome, mate. Hey, thank you very much.
0: That's it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the NZ Swim Bike Run podcast. If you did... We'd love it if you left a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so that you can have future episodes on your device ready when you are. If you want to continue the conversation, join us at NZ Swim Bike Run
1: on Facebook, Instagram, and nzswimbikerun.nz. Thank you.